Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, what a glorious and deeply reassuring passage we have today from the Book of Wisdom. I'd encourage everybody to spend some time today in prayer, just meditating on and savoring this passage from the Book of Wisdom. We're first allowed to see the world from God's perspective. Now listen, before the Lord, the whole universe is as a grain from a balance or a drop of morning dew come down upon the earth. Well, right. God is God. Absolute and perfect in every way. The creator of all things. The world adds nothing to God's greatness. Do we pay attention to a crumb of bread on the counter? No, we just sort of sweep it away without a thought. Do we attend to a particular drop of dew on the grass in the morning? Well, no, we just we walk right over it. But God, for whom the entire universe is like a crumb of bread or a, a grain of sand, shows mercy on all things. Now here's the next part of the passage. Listen. For you love all things that are and loathe nothing that you have made. For what you hated, you would not have fashioned. Again, it's really important, everybody, to pause here and to meditate on this passage, because so much of our theological and spiritual tradition is really uh, implicit here. Precisely because God does not need the world, everything that exists has been loved into being. See, how do we know that? Well, love is willing the good of the other. It's not willing your own good through the other. That's just indirect egotism. It's really wanting what's good for the other. Well, see, that's all God can do vis-a-vis -vis the world because he doesn't need it. It adds nothing to his greatness. To him, it's like a, a grain on the scale. It's like a single drop of dew. Nevertheless, you have loved all things into being, and you loathe nothing that you've made, because what you hated, you would never have fashioned. The conclusion, everybody, is clear and extraordinary. God doesn't love things because they have wonderful qualities. That's the way we tend to love. You know, if you're attractive, if you're nice to me, if you're just, if you're kind, I will love you. But God doesn't love things because they have wonderful qualities. Rather, they have wonderful qualities, including existence itself, because God loves them. Theologians call this principle the love of predilection. It means God's love always comes first. God's love makes things what they are. 
apply it to us, God doesn't love us because we're good. We're good because God loves us. Again, I know it's very simple to say that. It's a nice little pithy formula. But if you get it, and I mean get it in your bones, it will change your whole life. See, because what most of us do is we play the same game with God that we play with everybody else. Well, they'll love me if I'm good to them. That's why I better be kind and just, and I better, you know, uh, butter that person up to get him or her to love me. And so we play the same game with God. Well, God will love me if I'm morally upright. No, no, you're morally upright because God loves you. God's love comes first. Whatever exists has been loved into being. And more to it, things continue to exist only under the influence of God. Therefore, they are, from moment to moment, being loved continually into existence. Listen now again to the Book of Wisdom. How could a thing remain unless you willed it? Or how could it be preserved had it not been called forth by you? There's a great line from the Dominican theologian that the world exists and is sustained in being the same way that a song exists and is sustained in being by a singer. How could a thing remain unless you willed it? Quite right. And that means... If we look around with the eyes of faith, what do we see but a great tapestry of love? Now, again, I don't mean that sentimentally. Don't take that as like a little saying you'd put on your pillowcase or something. It's meant in a metaphysical sense, if you want. From moment to moment, anything in the world that exists has been loved into being. Now, the Book of Wisdom begins very high and with a, a grand discussion of the universe, and now it brings it down to the human. Listen. But you spare all things because they are yours, O Lord and lover of souls. Again, everyone, spend the rest of the day mulling over that lovely little phrase, O Lord and lover of souls. Many today don't even believe in God. Still others, even if they believe, are essentially deists, holding God to be a, a distant force, indifferent to individual human lives. But this is just not the God the Bible talks about. Of course God loves your soul, yours, not in the abstract, not the human race. He loves your soul. How do we know that? Because it wouldn't exist unless God were continually loving it into being. See, don't let this remain just an abstract theological insight. It feels like something. It feels like God restlessly and relentlessly pursuing us. I think I quoted before the, uh, the great English Catholic novelist David Lodge was asked, what makes your novels Catholic? He said, they're all the story of souls being pursued by God. It's pretty good, isn't it? That's right out of the Book of Wisdom. 
what, what's human life? Oh, well, I can read it economically, politically, culturally, interpersonally, in terms of my friendships, and all those are right. But see, with the eyes of faith, we read human life above all as the story of God's relentless pursuit of us. God continually loving our souls into being and therefore sparing us. O Lord and lover of souls. The hound of heaven comes to mind, doesn't it here? Francis Thompson's great poem, same idea. Now let's make it more specific as we stay with this passage. Listen. Therefore you rebuke offenders little by little. Warn them and remind them of the sins they're committing, that they may abandon their wickedness and believe in you, O Lord. What's the biblical perspective? Oh, that God, once he sees us sinning, loves punishing us. God is so offended by our sin that he comes back, he lashes back at us. The way we tend to relate to each other. You're cruel to me, by God I'll be cruel to you. You're unjust to me. I will punish you for that injustice. Then there's God. Therefore, you rebuke offenders little by little, warning them and reminding them of the sins they're committing, that they may abandon their wickedness and believe in you. God's punishments in the Bible are always an expression of his love because they are an attempt to bring us back online. Yes, God punishes in the Bible, absolutely. But it's always within this matrix of love. Okay, with that beautiful, wonderful preparation from the Book of Wisdom, we turn to the Gospel, which is the magnificent and much-loved story of Zacchaeus. You know most of the rich details of this narrative. As a chief tax collector, that's the term that's used of Zacchaeus, he was a very bad man indeed. That's what you're meant to see. So tax collectors who were Jews, who collaborated with the occupying power, who um, skimmed money off the top, who were basically um, taking terrible advantage of their own countrymen, they're bad enough. But you're a chief tax collector. Well, you're the worst of the worst. So the question is, how does God deal with people like that? What well, our categories today, I mean, gangster, murderer, child molester, or something we'd say like the, are the worst of the worst. How does God deal with people like that? Well, listen. Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus, who had climbed the sycamore tree. He was short of stature, couldn't see over the crowd. He was hungry to see Jesus. There's a whole sermon right there, by the way that hungry heart, even the sinful heart, is looking for God. Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus. What would we expect him to say within our ordinary framework of understanding? I condemn you. How dare you look at me? There's none of that. What does Jesus say? Jesus, who is the icon of the living God. Zacchaeus, come down quickly. For today, I must stay at your house. Now, is the Lord unaware of his sin? Oh, he had no idea who this man was. Come on, hardly. Everyone everyone in the town knew Zacchaeus' sin. Is Jesus being soft on sin? Come on, come on. What's going on here? 
Jesus is the icon of the living God. And God, as we just heard, is someone who loves souls. Especially souls who are lost and who does everything in his power to save them and to include them and to draw them in. To stay at Zacchaeus' house is a kind of metaphor for moving into his life utterly, totally. I know you're a sinner, he says, even a terrible sinner, but I still want to become the Lord of your entire life. Now, it's always been the case that we human beings are a lot less generous than God in this regard. Listen to the reaction of the people around Zacchaeus. When they all saw this, they began to grumble, saying, he's gone to the stay at the house of a sinner. Okay, so it will always go. We're a lot less generous than God. But listen to me, fellow sinners, even even terrible sinners. Don't worry about what they are saying, they with quotes around it. Just don't worry about it. They might not love souls, but God does. Now what happens when Jesus invades the house of this terrible sinner? Listen. Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. If I've extorted anything from anyone, I will repay it four times over. What's the principle? It's the love of predilection again, isn't it? First comes love, then comes repentance, not vice versa. It's not because he was repentant that Jesus loved him. No, Jesus loved him, and therefore he became repentant. There's the great message from the Book of Wisdom all the way through the Gospel of Luke. The love of predilection, the law of grace. Friends, savor this great message today. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.